That's it. That's what. What's the idea? Well, what's the big idea? What's the big idea? What's the big idea, Egghead? What's the big idea? Welcome back to What's the Big Idea. Today on the show, we have Dan Doty, and Dan is one of the co-founders of a great organization called Everyman. So Everyman has emerged as a real major player in the landscape of modern men's work. They provide their own retreats. They have an online training. Uh, they have a framework that helps men to create their own men's groups, something that I leveraged when starting my, my own men group several years ago. Uh, and Dan and I connected when he was getting ready to give a TEDx talk um, called What the World Needs from Men. And it was this beautiful personal story about modern times and how men are being called to evolve. And so whether you are a man, woman, uh, new to men's work, deep in your personal development journey, uh, Dan doesn't just get theoretical, talk about the practice here. He goes deep on his own personal journey from wilderness therapist to public school teacher to facilitator and coach and his work with men. So it's a, a fascinating exploration of how the world is changing, the opportunity for men to get out of their heads, into their hearts, into their bodies, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, here is Dan Doty. All right, welcome back to What's the Big Idea? I'm sitting here with none other than Dan Doty. Beautiful landscape, the uh, Santa Barbara Mountains behind you. How are we feeling, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm kind of running on high right now. My, I think I'm not quite redlining, but I'm definitely like running pretty strong right now. <laughs> lots, lots going on. Yeah, yeah, but also, uh, yeah, I think the there is a lot going on on the outside, but the inside's um, moving pretty strong too, like in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. What are you most excited about at the moment? Oh man, it, it's what I would be most excited about would be a um, a complete week off with my whole family. I spent the morning throwing rocks in the river with my two boys, and um, all the while knowing that I'm about to leave for six days, and uh, I was just gone for six days. And so, I think that's what I'm most excited about: is throwing rocks in the river with my boys. But that's uh, punctuated by uh, kind of. Not desperation, but just, I need more of it. They need more. We need more of that. Yeah. And uh, I got it this morning, and I'm kind of wishing for more of that. I love that, man. What's yeah. your favorite part about being a dad? <laughs> Throwing rocks in the river? <laughs> no, I mean, what's the, that's, a, that's such a massive question. The favorite part? Um, I, I had a moment in L.A. traffic two days ago. Um, I had just been home with my parents yeah. and, um, dealing with some family drama, trauma. And, uh, on top of that, my grandpa is ill and is on his deathbed. And so it was a very, it was a very full on experience. And I, I came home, I flew home, I landed, I got the car, I got in traffic and, and put on some music and just, uh, I had an overwhelming moment of gratitude, like not like that word for me has been tricky my whole life, gratitude, because it gets thrown a lot and it gets, uh, it kind of leads the way for a lot of people. The idea, the concept of gratitude, I get it. And I think it's, I think it's, it should. Um, but I had a moment of, 
pure and unwavering and complete gratitude just felt lucky that uh, I get to spend the time that I have with my two boys and my wife. And, and I even, you know, I thought about my brother, I thought about my parents and um, I don't know what was going on, but it was some big sort of download moment. Um, so in that moment, you asked me what I like most being a dad in this moment, in the state that I've been in the last couple of days, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's every fucking part of it. Hmm. Every last part of it from, from a surface level. What do I like most? I like to wrestle them. <laughs> That's my <laughs> favorite thing to do with them, you know, and hike and like have adventures and be boys and, um, you know, that's, God, there's so much though. Dude, I was, I was, I was mentioning right before we started that we have this, uh, redwood forest about five minutes from our house. And so I had this moment, um, last night I was working and I've been hustling this week and my nanny was like, she needs time with dad. And I was like, you're right. And so we walked down to the redwoods and we had on some classical music. It was totally empty in the forest. And I was just looking at him and I'm just sitting against this redwood tree and he's just like hanging out there and we've been doing eye contact and I just started bawling and it was just like the, the ease at which I can find like complete presence and like a wholeness in a moment with my son. And I'd say that like, that's most alive right now of just like the accessibility of full presence and acceptance of like, I mean, what's moment. better, like literally, it's, I think it's a valid question. What on earth is better than full presence and love with like a, your kid? Like, come on, that's fucking it. Yeah. You know, that's like, that's like winning the lottery and maybe with anybody too. Right. But it's, I think that sure, but it's extra special. Like there is something like you can't, you can't deny that like heart leap, that like crazy shit that happens when it's your, your, what, whatever that thing is, man. I mean, it's extra. Yeah. Maybe anybody, but I don't know. Well, I think it's, I think it's easier with a kid because there's this element, especially when they're young, where there's, there's a lack of like the self-conscious rumination of self. It's like we, we, like, at least for me, it's like when I, I lose that sense of self and I just become one with, with everything with, with the present moment, because I'm not worried about, you know, what they're thinking about me or like how to act. It's just this authentic transmission of, of what's, what's there. And that's all good. Yeah. Here's, here's my, my simplistic understanding of it is that, um, the best thing the best experience as a human is the full and complete giving of our love. Mm. And I feel like not many, especially when they're little, there's, there's no impediments to that or there's fewer impediments or, or, you know, we can get to that sort of full higher fire hose, like all the way open. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you can do that with anybody, good for you. And, um, you know, also good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I want to, I want to circle back to that because it feels very present in how you are approaching your work right now. And something that we said that I, I want to explore a little deeper is before we started, I, I use the word men's work and you said that you don't resonate with that term. And what did you say? You say you don't like it. Yeah. For a certain, for a certain effect, I don't like it. Right. Like, um, and this might be changing. I mean, I feel like I'm now of a generation, you know, a decade back from, from guys just getting into it now. Right. Like I've been doing this for a long time and, um, how long? Um, at least 11, 12 years. Yeah. Um, and then I was doing a different version of it without knowing it for at least the, the previous eight. 
um, you know, so coming coming on a couple of decades of of this type of interaction with mostly guys, right? It's, it's been my life. Um, here's what I don't like about the phrase "men's work," is that it it's not very specific. It's very um, amorphous in what it is. Um, I, there's not many other uh, modalities of personal inquiry or things that that is so sort of um, non-specific so men's work right the work that men are supposed to do I mean I feel like so part of it I just don't think it's specific enough I, th I think we could be more descriptive in what we're doing yeah um, and that would be helpful for everybody I think it would communicate to the world what it is because that's the big question that comes across most if you're not in the in the bubbles of of personal growth focused people or on the edge of whatever this you know woke community thinks it's doing it doesn't fucking mean anything men's work is just like what are you talking about and it comes with a uh, a feeling or a flavor or a smell of here's here's like some of the markers that people are like uh warriorship um archetypal like king like you know, it, it, like, it's not, if you're in a bar in Iowa after work getting beers, like, fuck you, men's work. What are you talking about? Yeah. Right. And that's very much the perspective that I have taken and, 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 and still currently taking in terms of having an impact, um, on the world. I just, it just, and, and this is my selfish thing, but I just don't, I don't, my, I don't get my rocks off in, um, you know, doing the trendy cool thing i what i would like to do what i hope to do is take what's actually happening in what we're calling men's work yeah and giving access to the the wider part of the world the larger part of the world um because i think that's what actually is going to make this planet better yeah beautiful well so i want to give a little bit of backstory and then i want to go deeper into what you feel the work of men is today and so about three years ago, I had several of my friends who went on this men's retreat, one of the first that I had ever really heard of in our community, and I'd say about half of them came back and their entire lives were transformed, and around that time I was trying to start my first men's group, and my buddy Dan sends me, Dan McCombie sends me this, you know, at the time it was a Google Doc of, what is it, 12 weeks mm -hmm. of this framework for a men's group, so a way to get a group of guys together tap into their emotions, guided prompts every single week. And I read this thing, used it to bring this group of men together. And at the end of the first session, you know, I've been involved in personal development work for eight years. And it was the first time that I had ever experienced that depth of connection with guys who I'd known for years. And I remember one of the people walked out of that meeting and just looked at us and he was like, I feel so much less alone. Mm. And everyone was just like, fuck yeah, mm. absolutely. And then, you know, by chance we got connected, I think a couple of months later. And what I, what I respected so much about that, Dan, is like the idea that you synthesized a lot of your work into a framework that exists and, and contributes so much value without you even being there. You know, it's like that these, these ideas and so much of what you are teaching and training, it's like that there, it's such a tangible process that you guys have created it at every man that's so accessible, so powerful and infinitely scalable. And so I reached out and I remember I was just like, man, this is fucking, this is amazing. And so I'm incredibly grateful because again, it's like that was 
truly the moment when like some of the stuff that I had been learning in Gestalt, the first time that I had seen that really pointed directly inwards at the emotional experience and, you know, was, was truly my most profound introduction into men's work, man. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I have so much admiration for the work that you're doing and, and how many guys have gone through retreats, have been involved in, in men's groups now? Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. Thousands. I, I don't know the exact number, but we've done, um, yeah, a couple dozen, more than a couple dozen. I, I don't know how many, I don't even know how many retreats it's, it's at the point where it's, it's hard to keep track of, of how many, um, well, and, and if I, so, and I think that one of the reasons that I'm excited to have you on the show is because I think that you have one of the important voices in this arena of modern men's work, for lack of a better word to use mm -hmm. it. And, and to me, like when I quantify, like what is men's work, I just think about it as personal development that exists in a male only container. And like, that's my personal understanding, yeah. right? my experience of yeah. it. And so when you think about this, having done so much of this for the past eight years, having done it with you know, young men in wilderness training before that, what do you feel the most important work of men is today? Well, before I answer that, I want to um, make clear to you, and I want to honor Owen Marcus, who's one of the co-founders of Every Man, and I, I know you've met Owen, and I just want to um, make it clear, like, I didn't invent this shit, right? Like, I didn't. Yeah. Um, and uh, Owen didn't necessarily invent it either, but uh, the specific elements of the Every Man method, of the somatic focus and the emotional focus, is was carefully carefully crafted by him over many years and and he and i i ended up wandering into one of his men's groups in idaho and we just um had an immediate you know recognition of, of a future partnership there so i just want to say that up front and, and give him the uh the cred for a lot of the underlying uh beauty of, of what we've done i think what i've done is animated it and communicated it yeah. and added to it sure in some ways but owen gets uh, a lot of the cred there so and and can i pause there because one of the things i like to do on the show is actually like when we we use a word like this kind of like somatic experiencing which is such a foundation i think of, of the everyman work and what you guys are doing what what owen synthesized i got to work with owen mm -hmm. master just a, a wizard you know so yeah, a quick story about like owen he was a body worker he was a rolfer for how many years before he started doing this kind of like transformational somatic kind of work i mean he got trained in in rolfing in boulder in the 70s when it was just getting off the ground and at the same time he was trained by ron kurtz who created the hakomi method which is a somatic therapy he got trained by peter uh, levine the creator of uh, somatic experiencing directly he was he was in cohorts with both of those and also forget the name but milton one of milton erickson's main students um so yeah Owen never went the route of being a somatic psychotherapist and called himself that. And yeah. he found that the Rolfing was the way that he worked individually with people. But, um, and then he got into men's groups and men's work, um, early on and consistently. And then a, a good chunk of the way through it, he's like, I need more. And he, so he created something. And so how would you describe somatic experiencing? What well, I'm not going to speak to SE because I'm not trained in SE and that's its own, you know, somatic experiencing has a trademark on it. Yeah. Right. So that's like, that is a modality created okay. by Peter Levine. Yeah. And it is a, it is a, a leading type of somatic psychotherapy. It, it has, um, 
here's what I, I know, I'll, you know, I know enough about it that it is a, well, speak, maybe speak to yours. Like what is yeah. it that you guys yeah, well, are, I'll, speak yeah. to, I'll speak to both. I mean, the, the general idea of, of this, the idea is that our, our trauma, our stress, our feelings, our emotion are somaticized. They are part, they're a physical experience or a physiological experience that we're having. And it's not just our psyches. It's not just psychology that we're dealing with. We're, so we're basically flipping the script or flipping the paradigm and saying that we can work. And this is the, this is the every man way specific. We can work with emotions. We can work with trauma, with our pain through our bodies primarily. And along with that primary body orientation, we are, we are basically blocking down the basic emotional experiences that we have and working at the juncture of where those emotions are in our body. And SE, uh, you know, is a, I would suggest anybody looking for therapy, that's a great place to start. Um, And so it is working with underlying trauma, blocks, pain, anything that's repressed um, through the analogous uh, the life in your body. So let me just get best, best through example. So, um, let's say what's a trauma of mine. Yeah. I was, I was kept from my mother, um, at birth. I was premature. I was kept mm-hmm. from my mother f- at birth for seven days or eight days and only brought into her to, um, to feed like every three hours, whatever. And, that was wildly traumatic. You know, I didn't have the, and I think it was traumatic for her too. I know it was traumatic for her, but through different, um, sessions, both through therapy, but also with Owen and also with every man work, I have, uh, felt the tension in my body that the residue from that experience, which to be very clear was, it's felt like there has been steel beams and like a plate of steel in my back behind my heart. And, that tension has always been there. It's actually only in the last couple of years started to release. But so what, what happened is that in those times I have been, I've regressed and actually experienced how it felt to be that baby laying on this cold table by myself. And there's this movement that babies do when they're in full, I'm sure, you know, as a dad, when there's full freak out happening, they go like that, they Mm -hmm. lock their back and they, you know, there's that, yeah, that like full scream. And so I was, you know, working through one of our things and, and I sort of like clicked in, like I felt this massive back tension as I was telling about this pain, I couldn't locate, I couldn't figure out what was going on with me, but I felt, and so the directive was to, you know, let myself feel that tension in my back more, like make it safer so I could feel it actually, actually all the way. And as I let it on, like I actually flashed back to being this kid and screaming and arching my back. And, and so that was a somaticized trauma that like lived in my body for most of my life. I mean, I literally spent probably tens of thousands of dollars on body work on, on different ways to like loosen my back up. I couldn't figure it out. Um, and it was an emotional trauma. So using the body is a kind of a clear pathway to, to move quickly and fully. And, and it, then it also allows for processes, the everyman method with which Owen, so, you know, geniusly created is a, not only a recognition of that, but a way to uh, make it safe to feel that fully. So these emotions, these traumas that, that weren't completed, that were, were blocked, 
like we are in some ways making it safe enough to completely actually relive those all the way mm. so that there's uh, the full processing. Our bodies are immensely powerful at processing trauma and stress and emotion, but um, they're not often given a chance to. Yeah. So that's like one of the primary teachings of Gestalt It's like basically Gestalt was created as a response to psychoanalysis and Freud basically felt that humans were basically controlled by their subconscious urges and desires. And so the role of therapists was basically to like analyze them and put controls around them. And then Fritz Perls and Christine Price and these people were like, you know, actually like people act out because they're never given the opportunity to fully express the totality of their emotional experience mm-hmm. and what's not expressed is suppressed. And that can like leak out or explode out where yeah. we get, you know, some of the stuff like self harming or sexual violence or any of those things. And so, and so if you were to speak to like people who aren't familiar with this type of somatic work, why should they care about it? And explo- f- it works yeah, because it works powerfully and fully and quickly. And so I, but I want to, I want to go just, so the somatic part is one is only one element of it. I, the impacts that we get and the shifts that, that men get from diving in with us, you, like there's, it blows me away every time all that still blows me away. It actually works. It like really works and not just in a, I feel a little bit better, but like in a sense that, um, there's a different orientation toward like, There's a different way of inhabiting life in sense, like uh, under, under the, um, experience of some of these things. So, the somatic part is crucial because it helps us work with emotions on a uh, in a way that's tangible, right? And it's not just esoteric; it's not just thought concept, but there's but there's more to it. There's far more to it than that. So, I actually think the the impact of every man uniquely comes from a couple of things. So, two elements that I think are just generally across the board, common male traits. And and you asked me, what is, what is the core of men's work, what they should focus on? I actually think these two things, repression and suppression of emotion Mm. and uh, social isolation or basically walling yourself off from others. Those two, like, and I've, I've spent a lot of time following the trail of trauma and hurt and back to the source as far as possible. And and we could go into some esoteric, energetic, spiritual shit about this, and we won't. But the repression of emotion hurts other people, and it hurts us. And the lack of human connection on a full level is maladaptive and not helpful for, for really anybody involved. So those two things are, um, it's kind of like, those are a couple pancakes you stack up, and the, every man specifically is like a nice hot knife that, that cuts them both right in one. I had a pancake for breakfast. So How was it? It was it was quite good. <laughs> Glut- a, glutinous, I imagine. Not glutinous. No, non-glutinous. No, man. Uh, what's the, yeah, it's that, I forget the brand. So the uh, repression and suppression of emotions and the social isolation of men. And so, you know, I've seen, you know, the aspect of some of the somatic work, creating space for men to feel their feelings. Um, when you think about the social isolation work, how do you, what what is the antidote to that? And, you know, there's so many stats about, again, it's like, uh, loneliness in the age of kind of millennials, Gen Ys, I think more than like 50% of young people identify as feeling lonely, like often, um, the impacts of loneliness on our bodies of like some of like the kind of hyperbolic stats of basically your mortality rate goes up more from being lonely than it does from smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. 
of like, so yeah. the impact on mortality. Does that give me permission to smoke? I mean, you know, every now and again, <laughs> I'll have one, I'll have a couple here. I have a, I have a rule with Mickey, which is that she hates cigarettes uh-huh. and I don't enjoy like being addicted to cigarettes, but I do enjoy a cigarette me every too. now and again. Yeah. And so we have a rule. I get twice a year, I get a snowboard trip with my guy friends and I get Burning Man and that's it. And any other time I'm, I'm Oh, out. that's good. So she puts, um, she puts the, the guardrails around <laughs> me. But yeah, so, so what, how, do you, how do you create the space to, to fight that sort of isolation, especially with guys? Well, I mean, the, the reality is that this is crazy low-hanging fruit. Human connection is really low-hanging fruit. I mean, we are, we're all around each other all the time. <laughs> and the, the actual antidote to isolation is to connect. It's that simple. Uh, obviously, that has some um, tricky parts to it, but not really. I think the trickiest part is, um, first and foremost, the normalization of uh, connection and emotionality as male humans, right? Uh, or identify like. And so here's the thing, and here's why. Again, another reason the men's work is tricky for me we're actually talking about fundamental human principles here. We're not really talking about something that's unique to me. I think we're addressing uh, uh, a particularly real male problem for, for men, but the, the underwiring, the, the tools, the actual thing, it, it isn't gendered. It, it can't be. We are social mammals. We need each other. It's how we survived on this freaking planet. Um, I don't know if it's how we will survive in the future. Maybe, you know, maybe the, uh, the tech technology will take us to a different type of humanity. I kind of doubt it. Um, who knows, but the, the need to connect is not only is the need to connect universal, the pathway to connect is, is universal. And the pathway to connect is to, um, is to demonstrate in the moment to you that I'm present and that I'm open and that, uh, allow you to see me and, and to stay and to be here with you. Right. Like it's so like we can do it even like even on a, on a subliminal level, we can just make that intention to connect deeper right now as we talk and you might even feel that in your body. Yeah. And so the, um, the big news though, and I think this is, this is, it is changing and I hope it changes more and more, but there is still, there are still old narratives about uh, value as men, which is tied to, um, you know, the, the lone wolf, the, the cowboy, the figuring it out on your own, the not showing weakness, the thinking that, you know, uh, demonstrating to others that you're okay when in the inside you're freaking not, you know? So, so there's a, there's a, that in itself, that shift to have permission and, um, examples and experiences of, of living more in that way. That is the, that is the move to connection. It really is. There's, it's, there's really no way around it. That's what, um, I think that, uh, there's other ways, but that probably take far more time than we have. Like we could spend time together, not showing each other who we actually are. Uh, we could spend years together and then maybe at the end of those years we'll be like, Oh yeah, we formed a nice bond. That was nice. Or today, since we don't have the time, we can just shut up, drop in, and like, all right, man, I'm here. What do you What do you feel every man's role is, or your role as well as a teacher, in terms of shifting that narrative 
about the expression of masculinity and how much of that is a part of your mission? A huge, huge yeah. part. But I mean, it, every man, I think to contextualize what we intend and what we hope to do is to operationalize this, you know, build the machine, build the community, build the, um, build the, the functioning machinery to, uh, to allow for men to have the experience as much as possible. Right. Cause, cause there's a, there is a, there's a thing here. Like we can learn about this with our minds and be curious, interested, but we're not yet living it. We can, um, you know, kind of dance around it, but it takes a catalyzing moment. It takes that scary moment of getting raw and open and experiencing what happens afterward that makes good on it. Right. So in some ways, every man's um, mission is to allow for and provide for and to orchestrate as much in many of those catalyzing moments uh, as possible. Yeah. My personal mission, which is, which is equally tied into that is also very much about the, um, the spreading of the, the, the normalization part, right? The permission, the, the, not that it, not that I intend for it to necessarily come through my mouth specifically or not, certainly not all of it, but getting a, uh, a globally, uh, vested normalization of that is, is a billion percent my mission. Yeah. You know? And so for those, when you talk about it, you, you said a word in there that, that resonated, you said permission. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you were on a microphone to all men, and you had the opportunity to send them this message of permission. Permission to what? To feel what you feel, to want what you want, to be who you are, all of the parts of it. Like the the secret, it's not a secret anymore, but the secret is that like all the stuff that's actually real inside of you is what people fucking want. And it's what will make you happy. It's what will make other people happy. And it actually works when you let it out and you own it. And the, the permission, the, the starting point for that is, is you can block it out. Like, what do you feel right now? Let yourself feel it. And, but that's, that's where it gets tricky. It's hard to, and that's why coming in together in groups, coming together with other people, like we actually need to be shown and taught this. Like we're, it's a very experiential uh, way of being. And it's, it's, it's remarkable. I'm sure you've seen a lot of this, but a guy who's never experienced something like this gets in a group and somebody opens up and like, like snap the fingers. It's like, okay, life's different. That door will never close again. Like my God, life is now different. Like a man can say that he is scared. Of course he can. And, and what's the actual reaction to that? What does everybody else feel when that happens? completely safer, more aligned, more connected, more similar. And, and all of a sudden they just have that man's back and would probably do freaking anything for him. It's that dramatic. And so it's like, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it shifts the pair. Like it's a pretty quick paradigm shift Yeah, and it's hard to put into place. It's hard to make it fit into all parts of life. And, but that's part of the journey, man. That's the, What's well, and it's I think it's the the power of the circles and the in person work that you guys do, is that you can have an idea, a tool, a technique in your brain, but what you guys give the opportunity for people to do is to experience themselves differently. Mm-hmm. It's it's an undeniable truth. It's like I existed in that way, and here's how here's what went down. Here's who opened up. Here's how they received it. Here's what inspired in in other people, 
And I find that that was actually like the moment that, that drew me to this type of deeper interpersonal authenticity work was in like the first gestalt training I ever did. And we're, we're doing a, a walk around the room and then they have us do a lineup. And so I'm standing basically nose to nose with this other guy. And then they say, what is the thing you're thinking right now? And I said, I'm uncomfortable being this close to this guy because I feel like it's kind of homoerotic and he might think that I'm gay and felt super inappropriate to say mm-hmm. that. But that was also what was on my mind. Mm-hmm. And then the guy says, I feel the exact same thing. And then the facilitator says, how does this fear of being perceived as, as gay get in the way of you being with men? Mm-hmm. And got to explore this intimacy. I get goosebumps even talking about it. And it was just that of like, and I was, I was like committed to it. And I was like, I'm just going to go first and be with it. And I think that from that experience and then to so many others, I think one of the the most powerful things that happens, and you tell me about this on your guys' retreats, but it's that it's it's not just that people can receive your authentic sharing of truth in the moment, but it's the creating of space for other men to go next. And so you see your transmission of your truth creating space for others to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, at least for me, and this is you know a lot of, I think, what you're talking about now, this like real paradigm shift in men's work, is that it's about more than just you. It's like when you commit to this, it creates space for other people to go there too. So it's inherently an act of service. Yeah, it certainly can be. Um, or there's a point at which it becomes that. Um, I, I think for sure. I, I think that... I actually don't think it's inherently an act of service. I, I would like to think so, but just like anything, I mean, it can be used for good and evil, you know? Yeah, if you're like a narcissist and just like spouting off your authentic feelings. Yeah, you know what? Like the, these basic skills make you could make you a hell of a salesman. <laughs> like really. Sure. Um, which is not bad either, right? I don't care. I go sell some shit. I don't care. But um, I think that why a lot of men really are drawn and really as activated as they are is because that the the experience that men have of themselves when they get to be all the way real when they get to be all the way full and be completely honest with who they and that's hard to get to but when you get to it what pops up next is the desire to love and give back and serve others so so that's not the work that's not men's work that's human nature that when human nature, when 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 humans are um, full, not afraid and not holding back, like are generally speaking, and again, there's 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 this is not a hundred percent. This is not you cannot take this as like an all-clad truth, but it is um, it is our human nature, especially when we're connected and especially when we're safe to love our kids more and to express that and to uh, make communication more clear so that people are working together. Like we have this innate drive to, to, to do better and be well and be part of a thing and love. Like that's just, that's there. And it's not some woo woo like shit. It's an experience. It's the experience that we get to have. And, and so in that way, I mean, I talk about this in a couple ways. That that's what I feel is like the truth, and then there is also um, kind of a, a sense of a call out that I'm currently doing to men, um, which is just like the flavor of the week in some ways. But I think I think it's valid to a point where, you know, there is a. Uh, 
I think we get, we really do live in our, and depending on your beliefs about the world, depending on what you think is going on, I think there's a lot of guys pretty obsessed with themselves and their own growth, which is good and all, but to what end? What are we, what's the point there? Like I, there, like we're getting news daily now that we may have how many years left uh, of like sustainable life on this planet? Like our kids, our little kids are literally like who the fuck knows what their world's going to look sure. like. And then we're sitting there, you know, getting the next skin cream, and <laughs> which good, fine. I, I'm not opposed to that. But but um, I also what I think here is an opportunity. I think we have an opportunity to actualize and activate together in a way that could be deeply impactful for this planet and, and for humanity. When did this kind of anchor into like a deeper sort of purpose and impact become clear to you? as like a real driving force of how First you were approaching time I remember work. I was probably seven or eight. What My happened? Dad and I were just talking about it. We were, we lived in a little town in North Dakota and he would drive me to Taekwondo like 30 miles away, three times a week. And we would, we just have, we'd have talks. We'd sit in his, in his truck. And, uh, I remember reading a paper. I wasn't a normal kid, by the way. <laughs> I remember reading a paper. Go on. I remember, <laughs> And I remember looking at my dad and saying something to the effect of, um, you know, we have it really good in the, in essence, like there, there was no, I think it was after the Gulf war and I had my, my young mind's sense was like the world is about as, uh, full and, and good as it has ever been ever. Mm. And we have it especially good. And if we don't, if we're not employed in the service of, of others, then what are we fucking doing? Where'd that come from? I haven't, I have, I have different levels of an answer to that. I, I think I was a pretty, um, like I said, I, I wasn't like a, I wasn't a super normal kid. I was obsessed with concepts of like infinity and I would lay in my bed and just spend all night thinking about death. And like, I was, you know, I was plugged into something. I, I was definitely, um, plugged into other places and you know I I don't share too much about sort of my spiritual life or my spiritual understanding I am more and more but um, I don't know man like I I took a bodhisattva vow a couple of years ago and for people who don't know what is a bodhisattva vow it's a it's a a, a Buddhist vow of um, service plain and simple right uh, you know, vowing to come back and, and, um, do everything possible to relieve the suffering of all beings. And when I took that vow, um, I had a, one of the most powerful experiences of, of my adult life of, of feeling like coming, I could feel it even as I'm, as I'm saying it, a sense of like coming home, a sense of, uh, feeling my place actually. Um, and, I think I've always been wired that a little wired that way somewhat, you know? And were you, so you had this, this recognition at, at some level early in life and how did that guide you towards working with people and actually supporting them in that capacity? Yeah, super naively. Like, I mean, that's the thing the the external part, I mean, I grew up like pretty simply in the Midwest and I, you know, I was kind of a, I don't know what's the right word? I mean, I, you know, I played football. I played in a heavy metal band. I like, are you trying to say that you were a bro, Dan? 
I was, but I wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was like, just kind of like a Midwest dude, you know, and <laughs> yeah. drank a lot of beer. I think that's, I think that's what it's called. It's Midwest just dude. A Midwest dude. Yeah, small town Midwest dude, <laughs> and, um, you know, and then I, I kind of, I got lucky. I got, I got, I got drug around the world. So I, like, I was, I was dating this amazing girl at the time, woman now in high school, and she, you know, she came back from high school. She's like, I'm going to college. And if you want to be my boyfriend, you got to come with me. And so I'm like, okay. And the next year we go to college, she comes back from, she, she goes, I'm going to Europe next year. If you want to be my boyfriend, you got to come with me. And I'm like, okay. And so I, you know, I was very naively brought into like a, the, an experience of the world at a global level. And then, um, <clears throat> on that trip to, to Europe, I did a year abroad and the directors of the program were this, um, husband and wife, uh, professor duo named Jim and Linda and they had spent their life in a in a village much of their life in a village in Ecuador as first as Peace Corps volunteers but then as anthropologists hmm. and so I tagged along with them on an anthropological field study and and lived in uh with a couple different indigenous tribes in in Ecuador and then that was like the, the fucking portal man it's just like phoop, sucked me into this like wave of life that hasn't really stopped since I mean um what do you mean I mean, I'd, what, I what shifted in you of every I mean, the uh, the conscious exploration of life as a, as a like a pretty wild, magical, uh, unbelievable place. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, life turned technicolor really quickly. Hmm. Um, and I and I somehow was a I, I, I had a really amazing time in my 20s. I, I somehow had the permission to trust myself and, and follow my gut. And I did. And um, that involved, you know, writing novels in foreign countries and traveling the world and studying shamanism intensively and uh, most importantly, spending like a huge part of my 20s out in the wilderness uh, leading these therapeutic um, programs for young men. And that, you know, in terms of seeding the, 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 the real life every man in my life now, I mean, that is that's uh, where I found out who I actually was. It's where I found my connection to spirit it's where i found on all of it in such a naive like, like stumbling into way you know i what's what's like a moment from that time as one of the wilderness guides that really kind of captures how important that experience was for you there was a moment that so we slept under tarps right um, where where in the us yeah i did a, a lot of different places the first program i did was in western utah out in the desert um i led corrective trips in northern minnesota for kids who were locked up for a, a long time that's wow. where a good chunk montana idaho um, and then some abroad stuff too but the the moment that first comes up was that first summer i ever did it i must have been 22 maybe 23 and uh i'm sleeping under the stars on a thin blue tarp with a you know, a, uh, I guess a foam mat, thin, thin foam mat and a sleeping bag. And I, and I woke up in the middle of the night and, um, the moon was full mm. and it was blood red, orange, blood red, like vibrant. And it was just cresting. It woke me up. It was so bright. Mm. And like, I turned and I looked at it. And I can feel it in my body right now too. I, I put my glasses on, right? So I'm blind. So I, <laughs> I put my glasses on and it came into focus. And I just remember this sort of 
I I feel it right now. It like this um, primal, primordial experience of being alive, laying on the ground uh, in nature. I got steep like this this tea bag in this water. I got steeped in slow, full, complete embrace of nature yeah. for years, um, and that became the basis of all of it the the ability to be with people the sort of inward diving of of my you know spiritual meditation practice all of it like that that um simple time that amount of time slowed down in the wild like it'll do it <laughs> it'll pick you pretty good the uh the way i've heard that articulated before is if you look at like the the dichotomy of a spiritual experience I've understood that there's usually like three components to it. So there's transpersonal connection, which is kind of what you just talked about being the tea bag and the teacup. And mm-hmm. like you wake up and you see that moon and it just sounds like you're just absorbed and connected completely to mm-hmm. that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think nature's uh, probably one of the most accessible places to have that. Or like if you're surfing or snowboarding and you're like drowning in snow or water, drowning in a good way. Um, and then the next one, which we talked about like earlier, was the idea of the absence of self, of like mm. when you're so absorbed in the thing you're doing that like there's no thought of you doing it. So it's just like the epitome of like a flow state. And then the third is just a mystical experience of something happens that can't be explained in the confines of reality, whether that's like a voice in your head or like some sort of synchronicity. Yeah. It's just wild. Yeah. But yeah. that's powerful, man. And so... How and so you you were tapped into this direct service of these young boys, and I'm curious when men's work emerged yeah. as as a modality that really connected with you and and really emerged as something that was a calling. <laughs> yeah, so I got a little impatient, and I wanted a, a graduate degree, but I didn't want to just study. I wanted to keep working. Um, and the options I gave myself working in that therapeutic world were, um, either the, you know, become a clinician or a therapist or a counselor or an educator. And, uh, I just didn't have enough positive experiences with, with clinicians to want to go that route. So I didn't go that route. I became a New York city teaching fellow. I moved to the Bronx and I started teaching in the Bronx for a couple of years. And at night I went to Pace University and got my master's of education. And through that process, I fucked myself up bad. I got burnt out. I got like all of my undealt with stuff. Like, um, when I was 26 and 27 just came to a boil and took me out completely. Um, I imploded. I, uh, like lost my sense of self. I lost, I lost, my all of my ground of myself just went away. I had a really big um, implosive experience and chunk of time. And in that, I went to a a salon in uh, not hair salon, but like a speaking salon in Queens, and uh, had dinner. And this uh, this guy, this funny guy, Peter Opperman, this German guy, came up to me, and we just had a little chat. And he told me about his men's group. And I had never heard of it before, but, I, but you know, I had that tug in my belly. It's like, you should probably go. Um, <laughs> so I, they invited me to the first meet, to my first meeting ever. Um, 
on the west side. I guess it was up in Chelsea at this loft. Was this with Sasha as well? Nope. Or it was nope. later. John no. O'Connor. Okay. Peter Opperman, Stavros. Um, old school brotherhood, man. This, yeah. this was, this was uh, you know, and they had been, to, that group had been together, I think, for eight to ten years prior. Wow. Um, it was originally built on David Data's, David Data's principles and then kind of had its own life. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was it. Like, like again, snap the fingers, changed my life. Holy shit. Well, like, take us, take us in there. So same thing. Like you walk into that group and what was kind of like a, a moment where this just like clicked in for you and you realized like this was going to be an important part of your life. I've never shared this before. That's a good question. I'll, I'll share it. So yeah, I walked in and I was immediately impressed and um, scared. These guys had their shit together. They were very present. Yeah, they were uh, mostly ballers of different, you know, like yeah. doing pretty well. Sure. Um, and I immediately felt like, wow, like here's eight mentors in a room. I'll take it. Um, but as part of their process, they they would interview you. Like I was basically interviewing to to join the group. Yeah. And in one part of it, um, Peter challenged me. I, th- I think they were asking me questions and. At that time, I didn't, I didn't know my head from my ass. And, um, I think he he basically said something to the effect of like, I can feel a lot going on in there that you're not expressing like a lot. And, and he said, can you just reach into the center of it and bring something out? And I like, I didn't know how to do what he said, but I like, I slowed way down and I just felt like this wave come through me. And I just like, I like screamed, Mm. I screamed. Very fully. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think that might have been the first real time of actually tapping into, you know, the compounded pain of my life. And um, it passed their test, right? I mean, they're like, okay, <laughs> this dude will show up, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah. I I sat with that group for not even for very long. It was it was less than a year, and then I, um, in the midst of my sort of, I I stopped teaching and I moved to a cabin in the mountains of on the border of Idaho and Montana, and put myself back together. Um, there was there's a lot more in there that happened too, but that's kind of the short story. And what what does that mean for you? Put yourself back together. Uh yeah, a, a quick nod to so part of that year yeah. Um, I had been, uh, reading and studying parts of shamanism for a long time, but I'd never at that time not gone and and done any, uh, massive shamanistic work. So I went, I went to Peru and, um, went to a, a well-researched ayahuasca facility and, um, participated for, it was five ceremonies in, in, in seven, eight days or something. And, uh, and I... I was not okay for close to a year after that. Mm. I was, um, I was stuck in that. I was, every time I closed my eyes, I would be back in a full tripping scenario. When I was awake, I could still, I still saw things and heard things. And it was, I, I didn't come out. I didn't come out of it. And so the move to Montana was a literal putting back together. Like it was a, it was a quiet, safe nature based place. And, um, the first chunk of time I probably slept 16 hours a day for a month. Um, and it was a, 
you know, I lived in Brooklyn during that whole thing and it was, you know, it's an intense place to be. There's a lot going on. Totally. You know, I mean, I, it wasn't all bad. I, I like, I, I, I serve, I like, I made, I was okay. I actually wrote a novel. I recorded an album to accompany it. I like, I like, I started a little business. I was doing okay, but sure. like, you know, still at the same time, like wigging out. <laughs> doing okay on the surface. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually insanely grateful for the experience i feel like um you know i could have maybe spent 30 years (laughs) learning some of what i learned in a year i don't know uh but it was wild right and so i i went to and and there was a big breakup the, the ending of a long relationship and just it was a huge transformational time and so i moved to montana and chilled out got a little job and then went to a coffee shop and saw a flyer for Owen Marcus's men's group. Hmm. So quickly found my second men's group. Yeah. That one stuck. That's amazing, man. And so I'm curious how kind of your approach to, you know, we've, we've talked about this kind of paradigm shift in, in men's work. And so one of the things I love doing on the show is being kind of practical and pragmatic about how people can approach this. Mm. And so specifically for not just the men, but I would love to get your perspective on how to introduce this type of work to a male partner. Mm. So for someone who's here and says like, I have a partner who's male who could really benefit from this. Yeah. How do I introduce this without being like, Hey, you need to do this. You know, you suck. It's so let's, why don't we, why don't we just start there? So yeah. how about for, for the women who may be listening, or the men who have a male partner that they would like to introduce this type of work to, how have you seen that happen most effectively and compassionately? It's so it's going to be hard to give a, an answer that, that hits the majority of people here because it's so unique to the relationship. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of women just buy their husbands tickets to our stuff. Right. And, and I think depending on the relationship, that's either the worst idea in the world or it works. Yeah. Right. Um, I think, I mean, I, I'm generally a fan of just being straightforward, you know, like if there was a, a reality where, um, partner a is, is, you know, hurting and needing more from partner B partner, a could simply say, you know, set up the, the time and space to do this. Right. But say like what you feel is happening. Like I'm, I'm really, I'm lonely, I'm sad and I'm, and I'm feeling hurt by your distance from me. Hmm. And what I, what I really want is to be closer to you. And, um, I came across this thing and it, it seems to be working for guys that are like you and it would be meaningful to me. My request would be that you at least just look at this, please yeah. watch this guy's talk or whatever. Yeah, totally. That, that, I mean that, you know, that kind of, that's a, just a, a guided communication for what do you feel? What do you want? And a request around it, right? That's pretty straightforward. Totally. And even just potentially like introducing it versus like even making a request, like right up front, like, what do you think about this? Yeah, Getting totally. Of- and there's a huge dynamic that, you know, the in relationships, you know, a suggestion from a partner can easily be conceived or, or construed as, uh, you know, their shit. I mean, it, it, that touches a lot of buttons. Yeah. So what, whatever, whatever you want to do with that. But I think that, uh, I don't, my wife just turned me on to something that was really badass. So I, I don't know. I, I, my suggestion to the guys would be listen. 
I mean, listen to your partner, right? Yeah. Like all of us listen to our partners would probably be good instructions. And then what if you're speaking to the men who haven't experienced this type of deeper emotional based kind of trend, like transformational work? I tell them it's scary and, and, and that any feelings of aversion or fear around it or whatever is super normal and you should feel that way. And I'd say, take a look at, you know, at what's happening for the guys that, that are willing to take the dive. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of simple, you know? And you, you said something that I, that I love and I, for me feels like sometimes gets buried in a lot of the very like foundational processing of trauma and repressed emotion and shit that, that very much needs to happen and is going to help not only that person, but everyone they're associated with. But you talked about like the peak expression of humanity being like the expression of, of love. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm curious about if you could just speak to that. And as like, we're kind of bringing this to a close of what does that mean to you? And what does that look like for you personally to live that? And, and how does that tie into what you are trying to do for men? Yeah, it's really simple. I, you know, I get to wake up and, um, you know, once the once breakfast is made and I'm not stressed about about too many things going on, I could like slow down with my kids and just look in their eyes. You know, not even in any dramatic way, but uh, the the internal experience, the the my own experience of being able to love completely and fully and without holding any of that love back is it's simply blissful. It just feel it's like it just feels blissful. And then I get to go to work and my work now is in the, is I get to show up and serve people in with my own, by owning my full self and, and literally just kind of pointing that in service of someone or a group of people or men or the world. Again, it's just like, I'm just going to show up and be in love, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of doing involved there too. But, but with that, that becomes the, the the head comes in the doing comes in with okay so you know actions need to occur here and, and decisions need to be made but that becomes in service of of the bigger you know and it's selfish man i mean there is a i mean it's selfish in the best way like it it feels the best to serve and love people i mean my god i should, should i don't know do we even need to debate that maybe we do maybe some people want to debate that but like across the literature of the world through all time and space. I mean, like, what are we landing on guys? So there's a, well, I'm curious, do you have, have you ever defined what love is to you? Mm. It's, I, I think it'll change tomorrow, but I, it's, it's surrender. I just think it's full surrender. It's 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 what happens when you when you surrender. Surrender to. I mean, it depends. I mean, it, you know. Um, Is there a difference between surrender and acceptance? Yeah, for sure. What what is that? I think acceptance. I mean, and this this is my subjective. Opinion, yeah, of course. Yeah. I think acceptance to me is a. Um, Oh, how could I say it? A facsimile of surrender. 
it's uh it's an operationalizing of surrender it's a it's a day-to-day surrender like acceptance is great right i think um but i can accept uh, i can accept the my wife's criticism or i can surrender to it and actually take it completely full Hmm. and learn from it and use it and be it and that's beautiful. And like, and now I'm curious, so for people that want to access that, what would you point their attention to, to truly surrender? How does one do that? I mean, I, th- I think the, the thousands years of lineages of, of different spiritual practice are, are the best place to start, but are a good place to start. But I also think that, um, every man's rock formula is a, is is also a simple place to start and that's just relax open and connect so the number one thing is to slow down <laughs> yeah we we can't do any of this if we're at hyperspeed we just can't we have to slow down way down way 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 down and i actually think that might be all of the work well I, i'm i'm just remember i'm laughing because i remember this i think this is one of the first videos in your training for the men's group but you actually say like slow the fuck down <laughs> and yeah. it's just it because it like catches people and it's always one of my favorite things to do with coaching clients now is like, is I don't know. And anytime someone says, I don't know just how keenly aware I am now of their desire to move on from, I don't know into something that they do know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, like now you're just talking about shit you've already thought about. Mm-hmm. Stay with, I don't know. Like there's, that's, that's where the good shit is. Slow yeah. down there. Yeah. That's, that's been one of my favorite teachings from you guys is slow down of, if I don't know, just slow down, be there. For sure. Yeah. So it's it's relax, open, connect. Yeah. That's it. Oh, and open is open to what's happening, and so sensitize yourself. Allow, like, open the door to what's happening. You know, let it in, let it in, and and connect is the, um, is that reach out. It's that it's that piece of vulnerability. It's you know reach out and and you know speak your mind or, or take that action to be a part of as opposed to a separate from right. Um, another, another sort of my own personal, uh, rubric is show up and stick with it, whatever it is, hmm. you know, I think the, the basic mindfulness tools, the concentration tools, the slowing down tools, um, that you can learn anywhere. I mean, you know, I think we can all do this in different arenas, like, a um, NFL player, can surrender to the moment of what's going on because he's practiced at that moment, right? Yeah. It's the same anywhere, right? Totally. Yeah. And so as we bring this thing to a close, you know, if you look down the road, if everything goes according to plan, what does the world look like? How does it change? Um, I think with, you know, full, 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 full experience. Full, baby. Um, what's, what's the dream? The dream is that there is a easier and more full access to, or there's a return to, I don't know, I don't know, I don't like that language. There's more, there's, there's a, there's community and there's, I think we can up-level our communication and understanding as human beings in a really great way. One of the applications for our work, which I'm extraordinarily excited about, is to start doing <clears throat> events where we bring 
uh, groups of people who are at arms with each other, yeah. not necessarily violent arms, but some sort of violence, you know, yeah. black and white uh, men and women, you know, LGBTQ and, and people who don't get it or what, what right? Like any two and like employ these, um, these tools and these tactics and this understanding and show that people can see and love each other fast, totally fast. And, and let that, um, I don't want to even try to design what that would do for the world, but, um, I think that we could all have a, a much, um, I think we can get to the good stuff quicker in our lives. Yeah. Transform the way that people communicate. Yeah. 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 And experience themselves and others. Yeah, I mean, I could go off the deep end and say something like, you know, world harmony. I actually don't know. I don't even don't think that's real. I, I, I actually think there's a balance. Like, I think there will always be pain. I think there will always be, you know, we're, we're, we're dying as fast as we're living. And I don't, but I, but I do think we can take care of this, um, our survival on the planet and, and take care of our, our ability to live here. I actually think maybe that's the, the practical thing that I am comfortable talking about. I think that there's, human work that needs to happen in order to operationalize a, a true um, effort to to sustain life yeah. here um, and I think we need to come together to do it and I don't mean that in some political way I actually mean like uh, starting with each other yeah you know well dude I mean cheers to you guys for you used the word that that keyed me off earlier you said operationalize of like you know, not necessarily creating these things, formulating certainly your own experience of it, but the way that you guys have operationalized it, the way that you guys have brought people together, how you've made it available has impacted not just the thousands of lives of the guys that you've treated, but like so many others who are directly related to them. They're working with their partners, their families. And so I'm grateful for you and the work that you're doing in the world, brother. Yeah, same. I'm happy, and I'm happy we got our time. So what do you want people to know about Everyman? So if they're curious about whether it's a men's group or retreat, where should they find you guys? What do you want them to check out? Everything's on the website, everyman.com. We only have one E in Everyman. We have the first one, not the second one. Um, who has who has Everyman with the proper <laughs> that's spelling? A good question. I don't know. You don't know? I don't, I don't remember. You should email them. They'll probably give it to you if they're not using it because you guys are doing so much good stuff. Yeah, but we're already there, right? Yeah. I mean, if somebody, if some analyst says, yes, you'll grow faster and have more impact if you get the second E, fine, we'll take it. I don't <laughs> really give a shit. What if the second E is, is the secret, the key to unlock Sure, everything? yeah, done. We'll take it. What, what, what do we need? All right, so everyman.com. Uh, they've got a great podcast over there as well, which hopefully I'll be on sometime soon so we can jab on our stuff. But uh, brother... Thank you so much for everything, for joining us. I know you got a big meeting after this, so we will talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Signing off.